on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and today my guest is Emmy Award-winning director Eric Becker, and we're talking about his brand-new documentary entitled Return to Mount Kennedy. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you for having me, Jan. It's lovely having you here. All right, let's talk. I want to find out about... Well, first of all, this movie is really stunningly beautiful, and there's a lot to it, lots of layers. It's it, it's a very interesting movie. But how did you get involved with this movie? Sure, yeah. Um, I made a short film about Jim Whitaker, who's uh, a focus of a lot of the film in 2013. Do you want to and... let people know who Jim Whitaker is, who our audience yeah. may not know who he is? Yeah, sure, some context. Jim Whitaker is sort of our like elder statesman, iconic mountaineer. He was the first American to climb Mount Everest, um, but is also lived a very storied life in the mountains, has climbed K2, um, very uh, famous mountaineer. Uh, made a short film about him in 2013. Let me just inject here. He was also the CEO of REI for 25 yeah. years. Okay, so yeah. people will know what REI is, I'm sure. Sure, yes. sure, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. He was the CEO of REI. He also was the very first full-time employee of REI when it started. In Amazing. Seattle, so he had a long history with that company as well. Yes. Um, yeah, so I made a short film about Jim in 2013. I was actually hired to do it by a university in Seattle and through making that film I met his son uh, Bob Whitaker um, who at one point pitched to me this idea of going to Mount Kennedy and making a what, what we thought would be a short film kind of about the topic and the climb and uh, it really ballooned into this much bigger project that's out today. And so to give the audience again a background you want to tell them a little bit about this uh, how about this movie in the sense of how this got started and um, and why. Uh, Sure. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So in 1965, Jim led Robert Kennedy, who was a senator at that point, um, to the first ascent of a mountain in the Canadian Yukon that had been named after JFK by the Canadian government to honor him after the assassination. And then 50 years later, we went back and redid the expedition with two sons of Jim Whitaker and one son of, uh, of Bobby Kennedy. And the film really follows Bob Whitaker, who I'd, who I'd mentioned. He's the main character. Bob is um, very different than his father. He doesn't have a mountaineering background. He actually was a very big figure in the Seattle grunge scene. So had a lot of buddies who were rock stars and spent his career working in the rock and roll business. And at the age of 48, decided he wanted to go take a crack at this mountain. So the film's really about Bob. He's the main character and it's about him deciding to go to go do this climb and take on this challenge and uh, and learn about the history of the climb and really connect with his family through doing it. Well, what's fascinating about it, well, first of all, he's a character. <laughs> just just an amazing character, just to say that. He's just to follow him and the archi- archival footage you have of him and his really wild sense of humor and lifestyle and, you know, craziness. And, uh, and we'll get more into his musical background, but the fact that he even, and he wasn't athletic, I think he was kind of anti uh, anything out, it seemed like, and uh, from his lifestyle up to that point, was pretty much anti outdoors and, and whatnot, although he's more involved in that now. Is that would that be a true assumption right there? 
Well, I wouldn't call him anti-outdoors. I think he's always had a connection to, um, to, to the outdoors, but his connection is like going on hikes. It was never like the hardcore mountaineering of his father. Right. So, uh, but I think, yeah, anti-athletic cause he'll probably get mad if I say that, <laughs> but I think I just did. So, um, yeah, I mean, let's just say like sports whenever Bob's thing. So, um, he was more of a culture guy. Right. Well, yes, that's what he says. More drinking beer and having fun and having a good time, it seems like. Sure. And he was part of that early grunge scene, you know, in, in the Seattle scene, you know. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the kind of people that – well, why don't you tell us a little bit about his background and the kind of bands that he was involved with and managed or was the road manager? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bob was there in the early days of hardcore and grunge in Seattle in the late 80s and early 90s. His entree into really working in the industry was being the uh, tour manager to Mudhoney. That led him to be the actual like full manager of Mudhoney. He um, helped him get, sign a deal with Warner Brothers Records and get a lot of the early albums out. So that was... Um, that was his kind of role was working with bands in the grunge scene. He parlayed that into a much more kind of prestigious career in rock and roll. He was a road manager of REM for 10 years and worked with a ton of other pretty big name acts um, touring all over the United States, really in the world. Pretty amazing. I mean, he had a pretty amazing career. So what possessed him to decide to recreate 50 years later? Um, this mountain climb up to Mount Kennedy, which not many people have really trekked on very much over the years, have they? No, absolutely not. In fact, when we went in and checked in with the guide to um, finalize our permit for the climb at the ranger station up in Haines Junction um, in the park there where the mountain is, uh, we asked him how many people are going to be climbing this year. And he said, how many people are in your group? And we said seven and they said seven. So <laughs> wow. it's uh, it's a very remote mountain. Um, it's also not the tallest mountain of that area. So people that are going to go for something um, a little more steep or uh, you know technical of a climb kind of overlook Mount Kennedy. The people that do tend to do it are the ones that are interested in kind of the history of the area. Um, so certainly, uh, certainly a challenging mountain, but um, you know not not something that is on the radar of a lot of people. And so do you want to tell us a little bit about the background, how uh, how it became Mount Kennedy and why? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, Lester Pearson was the Canadian prime minister um, who uh, decided to honor JFK. Um, he reached out to Bradford Washburn, who's like kind of a legendary cartographer, mountain climber and photographer from the United States who had been there and done a National Geographic expedition many, many years before and was familiar with the area. And it was the tallest unclimbed peak um, of the of that mountain range at that time. And so once it was named, there was a bit of a rush to try to, to climb it. There were other climbing parties as well that tried to get ahead of uh, Whitaker and Kennedy to get out there quicker. But um, Whitaker and Kennedy ended up getting there before anyone else. And Bobby Kennedy got the first ascent. Amazing. Amazing. And so uh, he was not the first choice to go on this climb, uh, Teddy Kennedy was. And unfortunately, Teddy had a very bad airplane accident and couldn't even walk. So uh, he ended up convincing his brother Bobby, who had no thoughts of doing this, uh, to go on this trek. So you've got great, uh, and, and as you mentioned earlier, Jim Whitaker was the very first uh, person to climb Mount Everest and make it to the top. Very first American, American to climb Mount Everest. Okay. Yeah. 
American. And so he had received uh, an award from President Kennedy after that and became friends with uh, President Kennedy? Yeah, he was, um, I'm not sure it's fair to say that they were friends. He met him when he was given the Hubbard Award um, at a ceremony, and certainly they were aware of who Jim Whitaker was. So when it came time to find someone to to guide Bobby up that climb, that he was the person to go to. He was the sort of preeminent mountaineer in the United States following the Everest climb in 1963. So in 1965, he was sort of a logical choice. And so let's talk about that relationship between Bobby Kennedy and Jim Whitaker, because it really became a very, very, very close bond between the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you when you do these really hardcore mountain things, like you become connected to the people that are in your climbing party, it's just one of the results of being in in those sort of high pressure situations. There's a lot of bonding that goes on, and that definitely happened with with Jim and Bobby. Um, they immediately kind of took to each other and respected. I think their the kind of different things, um, the, 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 way the, the ways that they were both very different. I mean, obviously, Bobby Kennedy's life was enmeshed in politics and Jim Whitaker's life was enmeshed in the outdoors. Um, but they both respected the, the work uh, that they both that they respectively did, I guess, and um, became very involved in each other's lives following the climb. Bobby got uh, Jim into politics and Jim got Bobby way more into the outdoors. So there was a lot of family trips together, skiing and rafting and hiking and camping. Um, and so, yeah, they were, they were largely influential on each other. Um, a lot of people we spoke to would kind of credit a lot of the modern day environmental movement to Jim Whitaker's advocacy work that started back then with Bobby Kennedy. I mean, once politics became involved and in, in the love that Jim had for the outdoors, it became a, a much more stronger force in the world. What a wonderful partnership and what a shame, you know, with what took place shortly after that. Um, the eulogy that Jim Whitaker gives is so incredibly moving. Um, and you know, who knew that uh, they even had this kind of footage? I had never, you know, I had never seen it, obviously, before this movie. So was it hard to find some of this archival uh, footage that you use in the film? from the first climb with Bobby Kennedy and Jim Whitaker um, and that you uh, edit beautifully within the film. Was it difficult to find that or was that very readily available? Well, it's interesting because maybe 20% of it is actually really easy to find. You can just Google it and there are plenty of archival services that have clips on YouTube that, that show Bobby and Jim on the climb in 1965. But the crazy thing was that we unearthed a lot of this footage um, in the process of making the film. The eulogy you just mentioned is one of those things. Um, Jim Whitaker had had some boxes in his in his garage that uh, he hadn't touched in a really long time. And we have no idea how long they've been sitting there. He happened to open them up when we were finishing the film. Um, and he found some reels that said Bobby Kennedy on them. So that was the footage of um, the eulogy that we mentioned. The, a lot of kind of amazing stuff of the climb. We also found footage of the families rafting and skiing together. So, so much of this footage in the film is, is brand new in the sense that people have not seen it before. And that's what makes it even uh, a richer movie because of that, you know, seeing things that we haven't seen before. But also their relationship, how it after that bonding experience of climbing Mount Kennedy, um, how they sustained that relationship and how Jim Whitaker was sort of thrown into the limelight, which is not something that he ever sought out or wanted to. He was more of a quiet 
uh, man who just loved the outdoors, and then he was thrust into this limelight. Um, how did he feel in, in talking with him? When did you interview? When you interviewed him, did you talk to him a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I I think that Jim is always the happiest when he's in the mountains and nature. That's that's his church, you know. That's his sacred place. Um, uh, I think the relationship with the Kennedys to him was a deeply personal thing. So. Um, the politics aside, I think he really appreciated the connection that he had to the family and that um, they are a political family. So it was inevitable that there would be uh, some political opportunities for Jim. So he worked on the campaign with Bobby um, before Bobby was assassinated. Uh, he was actually the campaign manager for uh, Bobby in Washington State. Um, and then he was there at Bobby's bedside um, after the assassination. So, uh, yeah, I mean... It was obviously a very emotional thing for Jim to 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 have that experience of being so close to Bobby and then have him taken from him that fast. Um, and he was willing to talk about that stuff, which I was really honored to to be able to kind of tell that story through his voice. Yes, and I had no again, idea again that he was, you know, until the film, that he was at Bobby Kennedy's bedside when they decided to, uh, you know, Remove the life support system uh, from him, and they kind of. It seems like they waited for him, didn't? I mean, the word went out to him, and didn't he have to fly in from Seattle? He did. Yeah, he he he. Once he there was word he was assassinated, he basically turned around on the highway he was on and headed right to the airport. Um, he got there by his bedside. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't know the connection that Jim had with Bobby, and certainly the assassination story is nothing new. People people know about that, but. Um, I think for us, it was interesting to be able to tell that assassination story kind of through another angle. Yes, definitely. And and I have to say the the scenes, and I you know you vaguely kind of remember seeing some of these, but, you know, of the train uh, and, and with Bobby's body in it and all the people, you know, waving the flag and Hoover lined up and then hearing Andy Williams sing. You know the battle hymn of the republic. It was, that was just a moving, moving, moving scene in this movie. Uh, yeah, I think it's certainly like stirring to see that much reverence for a political figure these days. I think that's it's just sort of uh, um, it's amazing the regard that people had for for Bobby back then. I, I yes, it really was. So that takes us to fifty years later, and his namesake, uh, Bobby Whitaker. Uh, again, who really wasn't into mountain climbing, as we said, stated earlier, decides he wants to go revisit it. Was It was his idea, correct? To- yeah, I mean, uh, Bob credits conversations that he had with his brother, Leaf. Um, he, Bob would never say that it was his idea alone. I think that, you know, they see it as they sort of collaborated on this and kind of whip this thing up after a couple beers when they're at one of the family cabins <laughs> over a weekend. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Bob, you know, Bob had always wanted to find a way to tell that story and explore it. Um, he's always wanted to find ways to connect to his family legacy, but not in like a hardcore mountaineering kind of way. I think he really liked the, the political side of the, the 65 climb more than he liked the just kind of the hardcore alpinism of the, the Everest climb. So this was Bob's way into that family legacy. Um, and, you know, it was clear for me from early on that he was really interested in doing some sort of project uh, to, to kind of honor it and explore it. And then how did they get Chris Kennedy involved in this? 
Yeah, I mean, to this day, I'm not quite sure why he agreed to go with us. (laughs) (laughs) To this day, and you filmed it. (laughs) (laughs) Did he ask Um, that question a lot, too? How did I get involved in this? Why am I here? (laughs) Why am I here? Exactly. um, uh, You know, Leaf certainly has a lot of mountaineer experience. He's climbed Everest twice, so I'm sure Chris knew he was in good hands with Leaf. And and we had a guide service that that helped us out in the climb, took us up. but still, I mean, to Chris's credit, like, you know, we were, even though there was a family connection, they've all met before. He hadn't seen Bob in a long time. And certainly it wasn't a, a very strong connection like um, like the like Bobby and uh, Jim had. So, um, you know, I see Chris's decision to do it similar to uh, Bobby Kennedy's uh, being convinced by Ted Kennedy when Ted Kennedy couldn't do it. So uh, there's something about that indomitable Kennedy spirit where they're just willing to take risks and um, challenge themselves in really amazing ways. Yes, that's definitely there. No question about it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies. And my guest today is Emmy Award winning director Eric Becker. And we're talking about his brand new documentary, Return to Mount Kennedy. So f- when you were filming this, are you a mountain climber yourself, Eric? No, no gosh, no. No, uh, okay. I mean, I've done, you know, I've done some, uh, yeah, I've done some hikes in the snow up at elevation, but I would never call myself a mountaineer. I'm terrified of heights and I don't like really being that cold but um you know i love making videos so i'm willing to deal with the discomfort and the challenges to get them done i was gonna say look so how what was your training program uh prior to deciding to climb mount kennedy yeah i mean i've always been an athlete i was a bike racer for many years um so like i know how to train for things and i got really serious before mount kennedy i I did CrossFit five plus times a week. I was running wow. half marathons. I was I was doing really intense trail runs up mountains and stuff. So I, I felt like I was in great shape um, going into it. But it was still incredibly challenging. I mean, once you get up to altitude like that and you're breaking snow and it's windy um, and, you know, you're shooting too. So a lot of times you're doing double time going back and forth to capture stuff. Um, it was it was very challenging. Were you the only person doing the filming? Nope. I had a really awesome um, DP with me, a guy by the name of Mikey Schaefer, who was one of the principal cinematographers on Free Solo, the Alex Hall Oh, film. yes, yes. Yeah, so he was great because he's also like a really hardcore mountaineer, world-class guy. So having him along was pretty critical um, to keep me from falling in a crevasse mm-hmm. and uh, keep me alive in general. So yeah, I was really lucky to, to have him along and learn from him along the way. What was the most challenging part of filming this for you? On the mountain itself? Yes. Um, I mean, sound is always very tricky when the wind is whipping at 45 miles an hour. Uh, I think it was really hard that we were on two different ropes. So, you know, it's just, it's hard to get good angles sometimes when you're limited to where you can put your body physically. You just don't have a lot of options. You kind of have to film it the way it unfolds. Um, and then just, you know, the wind and the cold were, were, were definitely pretty hard, um, on all of us during that day. Yeah. Interesting scene when Bobby falls, um, uh, uh, Chris falls into the crevasse. Yeah. Which is actually a great example of what I was just talking about (laughs) because we were on the second rep team behind them. And by the time we even figured figured out what was happening you know he's halfway through struggling with getting out of this thing so um i remember seeing it and then kind of yelling at mikey because he was a little bit farther away from me like hey we should probably film this you know yes, yes. Um, which is you know it's tricky to know what to film and what not to film um and it's just hard to catch things sometimes everything looks the same in the snow a lot right um so uh yeah but we were we were uh, lucky enough to capture that moment and uh, you know be able to show some of the drama of the climb 
itself. Scary moment. It was a scary moment. What did they leave up there? I, I, I couldn't tell from the photo from um, actually from when Bobby Kennedy climbed it with uh, Jim Whitaker. What did they leave? They left some mementos up on the top of Mount Kennedy and it was hard. That camera work was hard to see what they were leaving. It looked like some wings or what did they leave? Do you know? Yeah. So um, this uh, it's, it's a little um, it's a tie clip of the PT-109 boat that wow. uh, John F. Kennedy was on in, in the war. And um, it's like a Kennedy family. Um, I don't know what the word is I would use for this. It's just uh, something they use to kind of like honor his service and honor him. And uh, that's what that's what Bobby left up there in 1965. And Bob Whitaker actually found one in his house that the Kennedy family had given Jim. Um, and so we basically left the exact same thing oh, up there okay. 50 years later. Sort of a family heirloom that gets... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sort of an heirloom, yeah. but not like a giant vase or something. No, no. <laughs> no. Okay, so and they, and I and I I think I read also that they had left some um, when Bobby and Jim had gone up there. Uh, they had also left some. Uh, I, I, what's the word I'm looking for? They uh, something that you know a tribute to uh, President Kennedy. Is that correct? Some things that they wrote. Yeah, I I think there was something that they wrote that they left. Um, there was also like a flag, like the Kennedy family crest that they planted on the summit, along with the Nat Geo flag and an American flag as well. Very fascinating, very fascinating. So also, not only was this the journey to Mount Kennedy historic because it happened fifty years later, it also it seems like it bond helped bond Bob Whitaker with his dad, who we would and and, and his brother again, and it seemed they were estranged for a while, or they weren't a part of each other's lives for a period of time, or or Jim Whitaker was not a part of so much of his son's life once his parents got divorced. So was this more of a, uh, did this help bond them all together even more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, filmmaking can often be like a therapeutic process for for the characters. Um, I'd like to think that there was a bit of that with this one, for sure. Uh, I think that Jim understood Bob a little bit more after being a part of the film, seeing the film, and certainly Bob as well, better understood the pressures that Jim was under um, when Bob was was younger. So um, I'd like to think it brought them closer together. It's been really nice to see them at screenings together. Um, you know, if nothing else, at least have a reason to kind of to, to be together. With Leaf and Bob, um, they absolutely, I think, are closer after the film. It's, you know, filmmaking, a, a lot like mountaineering, does kind of create these bonds because there's very intense moments of, of trying to get the thing done and get it out into the world. So um, even just this last week, uh, Leaf and Bob and I were at a screening at REI in Seattle, and um, it's really cool to to see them um, just uh, having a good time together. It's a, it's a it's a lovely movie. Um, where can people see Return to Mount Kennedy? Yeah, easiest way to find it is to go to our website, mountkennedy.com, and it's got links to. Excuse me, maybe uh, you mind if I just do that one more time? Yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> Sorry about that. Right. Easiest way to find the film is if people go to mountkennedy.com and uh, we've got direct links to all the different stores where you can rent or, or buy it um, all ready to go. And this is part, REI helped produce this? Yeah, REI jumped on uh, to basically be our partner to help roll out the film. So um, they brought it into their REI co-op um, film kind of family, which has been fantastic because really their members are exactly the people that um, we know are going to enjoy the film. And we took it on a little tour and did five of the, the flagship stores of REI, sold all of them out, 
Um, and I'm just really great screening with um, really awesome, engaged audiences. Well, it's a great Christmas present. For Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So we'll Give the gift seed. of Mount Kennedy. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a beautifully photographed film and uh, a great history, lots of wonderful archival footage. I highly recommend it for everyone. It's touching. It's warm. It's got a little, you know, excitement in it, too. Uh, so it's a beautiful film. Eric, you created a wonderful film. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Great having you here. If you're just tuning in, my guest today was Emmy Award-winning director Eric Becker. And we talked about his new documentary, Return to Mount Kennedy. And uh, if you've missed any of the Jam Pry Show's All About Movies. You can go to thejampryshow.com. Uh, on my website, all the shows are archived there. You can also go to the iHeart Podcast channel, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Podbean, YouTube, and also if you have a smart TV, type in Jam Pry Show and all the shows will pop up on your iHeart, t- uh, your smart TV and the iHeart app on your TV. Thank you all for listening. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.